Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here today to worship with us. Thank you so much, Pastor Scott and band, for doing a wonderful job and leading us in worship. I hope and pray that you can not only sing the lyric of that song, but mean it well as you sing it, that Jesus Christ is enough for me because he is enough. This morning, I want to ask you in our time together, if you have your Bibles today, to open them with me to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 3 for our time together today. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, as we study God's Word together here today. We've been going here at Crosslink through a series of sermons entitled Joy for the Journey, where we've been reminded of the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. As we've gone through this study, it's been very interesting to see and very saddening to see all that is going on in our country. Today, if we've gathered together, we've gathered in the midst of a time of crisis in our nation. On the heels of a global pandemic, which has greatly impacted our healthcare system and crushed our economy and brought fear and confusion and anxiety, frankly, to, to nearly everyone in some capacity, the fact is we are now dealing today with a conflict that has the attention of every American. I don't know about you, but for me personally, I've watched the news and I've watched the reports over the past week, week and a half, whatever that time frame is, and I have found myself completely grieved over the state of our country. I, like you, have many black friends and black family members whom I love dearly and care for. I don't understand all that they face on a regular basis, nor do I understand what their parents or their grandparents themselves had to endure. But I will say, as I seek to understand and as conversations are had and I seek to learn, it both saddens me and it grieves me. To think that so many have been looked down upon and judged simply because of the color of their skin, frankly, is both disgusting and demonic. I grieve with and for all those who have been hurt or wronged, sinned against, and especially for those who have loved ones that will not be coming home today. Yes, as we look at the current situation in our country, frankly, it should grieve us and it should burden us. It reminds me so often of Jesus as he looked at individuals who were in situations that seemed hopeless, that he grieved, he had compassion, he was burdened, and we should be the same. However, I think it's important for us to understand today as we look in the mix of the culture and the country that is divided, as we look at those things, I want us to understand that the story can't end there. Because as we also look around the country, we begin to look quickly today at our law enforcement. These brave men and women who are giving their lives and spending their time and serving in a way that they are trying to protect people and businesses, homes, families, institutions. Yet at the same time in our country, by simply wearing the uniform, they too are being looked down upon and judged as if they are all guilty of a crime. As a result, officers are being physically assaulted, shot, and killed. I grieve for these officers. 
I grieve for their families that have been forever changed. Yes, there is a huge divide in this country, but I want to remind you this morning where division comes from. Ephesians chapter 6 says it this way, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, believer, I want to remind you this morning that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan himself. Yes, in our culture today, we turn on the television, we listen to the news, we hear the reports, we see the images, we see people on our screen. But make no mistake about it, our real enemy is not the people that we see on the screen, it's the enemy behind the entire agenda, it's the enemy behind the entire thing who is working to divide and to destroy and to hinder what God would want to do. In other words, it is he who is at work in the heart of man to bring about pride, to bring about hatred, and it's the enemy who brings about in the heart of man racism. It is he who works in the heart of man to convince them that it is okay to act in anger, to act in violence, and to act in revenge. It is the enemy who works in the heart of man to stir up division, to stir up bitterness, to stir up vengeance, to stir up anxiety, and even fear. But brothers and sisters, I want to remind us this morning so loud and clear that we have the answer. We know the truth. We know the hope for all the world in the midst of a culture that's facing all sorts of division and conflict, in the midst of such chaos and confusion. We have the answer, and his name is Jesus. The truth of the matter is this morning is that in our country today, We can change laws and legislations. Yes, we can bring about reform in our judicial system. Yes, we can all help our neighbors and minister to and love and serve our fellow man. And yes, we should in the areas where it's needed. But please make no mistake about it. As well-intentioned as all those things are, none of us can change the heart of man. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can bring about such a radical transformation in someone's heart and life that he can literally do away with the old and make a person a brand new creation. Only Jesus can set people free from the sin of pride and of prejudice and of bigotry and of racism. Only Jesus can set people free from their sins. Friend, I want you to know this morning, as I think of that, I'm reminded that only Jesus can do those things. The only way that hatred, strife, racism, judgmental attitudes, bitterness, and violence will ever cease is when each and every person turns to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe that sounds impossible. Maybe that sounds too good to be true. And if we're honest, some of us may not even want that to happen. Truth be told, as we've seen the images, as as I've seen the images and I've watched the images of that officer's knee, on the back of George Floyd's neck. We've been angered. Something within us that demands justice and we cry out within our flesh, throw the book at him, be done away with him. But I want to remind every single one of us this morning that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to give his life as a sacrifice and a payment for all of our sins. What I'm saying to you this morning is that Jesus came 
so that even the man who committed murder could experience forgiveness and grace and pardon for his sin. Some of you, no doubt, have turned on the news this week and you've, you've watched as there have been peaceful protests in parts of the world and parts of the country. I'm thankful for the way that it's been peaceful here in Harrisonburg. And yet in the midst of those protests, there are some that have turned to riots. Some of you this week, you found yourself frustrated and angry as you turned on the news and you watched the riots and you watched different things happening and you watched destruction and you watched literally officers who were wounded laying in the sidewalk and something within that just, it just created something within you to where you demanded judgment and you demanded justice and something must be done. But I want to remind you, even this morning, as you watch that crowd that you get frustrated with in that moment, that entire crowd, guess what? God loves and Jesus gave his life for. He died on the cross literally for every sin that man will ever commit. In other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is simply this. No matter what the world will do, no matter what each individual person will do, no matter the hatred, no matter the things in our heart and life, Jesus came and he gave his life so that all of us could be saved and that all of us could be set free and all of us could be changed to be made a new person in him. What do you think of that? Sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy to know that the God we know and love would have such love for fallen man. Sounds absurd. It kind of begs, why in the world would he do that? And yet God in his grace and his mercy has so loved us that he's made a way for us to be saved. Think of it for just a moment. Whether you've realized it or not, Over the past month, as we've been going through the book of Philippians, we have been reading a book of the Bible that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but was given to a man who could testify firsthand that what I'm saying is true. We know him today as the Apostle Paul, but before he was the Apostle Paul, he was known as a man by simply the name of Saul. And frankly, all of the things that I've just mentioned were present in his life. Racism? Absolutely. As a Jew, Paul was one who despised the Gentiles. He looked down upon them as uneducated and as untrained. He looked down upon them and they treated them, frankly, like the scum of the earth. Before Christ, racism was present in his life. Hatred? Oh, yes, absolutely. He had such hatred and disdain for Christians that he did everything he could to persecute them and imprison them in hopes that he could take things further. Murder? Absolutely. The Bible tells us of a man by the name of Stephen who was the first martyr there of the early church. And the Bible tells us that literally as the people were taking off their, their, their garments, their, their coats, if you will, to stone Stephen, they laid him at the feet of a man by the name of Saul, the same man we know today as Paul. And literally he was giving hearty approval to this murder. Then we see him in the next chapters doing all that he can to imprison them. Racism, hatred, and murder. Yes, they were all present in his life. But please understand, he didn't stay that way. There was a change that took place in his heart and life. Because the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, he was on the Damascus road. He was going to find as many Christians as he could to bring them back and imprison them and persecute them and punish them. And as he's on his way, the Bible says the resurrected Jesus Christ appeared to him. And he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Of course, the Bible tells us in that moment that Saul had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that Jesus had indeed died on the cross. He knew that Jesus had indeed risen again from the grave and that he was alive and well in that moment. And Saul suddenly realized all the things the Christians have been saying about Jesus are true. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no man's going to get to heaven apart from Jesus. In that moment, Saul believed. It would be a few days before he was baptized, but what I want us to see this morning is this. Yes, there was racism, there was hatred, there was murder in his heart and life, but I'm telling you, when he came in touch with Jesus, when he met the resurrected Jesus Christ, he was forgiven, he was saved, he was set free, and by the grace of God, he was changed. Now, I'm telling you this morning, in our culture, in our culture and in our country, what we need more than anything is not so much a what as much as it is a who. We need the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the hope for this world. He is the hope for every heart and soul. He is the hope for my family. He is the hope for your family. He's the hope for those who are white. He's the hope for those who are black. He's the hope for the Asian American. He's the hope for all the world. He is the answer that we need. And as we know him, and as we walk with him, we begin to experience his life of peace and of hope and of love. And according to the book of Philippians, and of joy. Philippians chapter 3, I want you to look with me at the text this morning as we are reminded that no matter what is going on in the world today, there's a lot going on. When we know Jesus and grow in Jesus, we can and will have joy. Listen to what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, he says, and it's a safeguard to you. Beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Now listen to what Paul says about himself. I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. Verse 7, this is huge. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, this is awesome. I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them today but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God is on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Heavenly Father, right now, would you speak to our hearts and minds today? Would you speak into our very lives that we would find joy in you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as we've gathered here together, I want to preach to you on the subject, joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. 
The Apostle Paul did not live his life without conflict or without challenges. He faced them on many different fronts. In fact, even, you know, as he's pinning these words in the, to the letter of Philippians, or the letter to the church of Philippi, he's pinning them from prison. He doesn't know what the next thing is going to unfold. He didn't know what the future uh, was going to take place. He didn't know if he was going to be beaten further or further in prison. He didn't even know if he was going to make it out alive. And yet in the midst of the circumstance, the apostle Paul says, listen, I want you to know something. There's still joy. 16 times in these four chapters, he says either the phrase joy or rejoice. They're closely connected as Paul is reminding us that no matter what we're facing, there's joy in Jesus. Now, I want us to see this morning three things that I believe we must do if we're going to faithfully walk in joy. It's one thing to say that joy is available to you. It's another thing to walk in that joy. Here's the question for you this morning. Question for me. Are you walking in that joy? Are you experiencing it? Are you living it out? Is it true, a reality in your life? This morning, I believe God wants us to see three things from this text that he's calling us to do. Number one, if you're going to find joy in the Lord, please understand, you've got to praise the Lord. We must praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. In fact, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Please know that the apostle Paul knew the secret to joy-filled, victorious living. He had believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And as a result of that, he knew that there was nothing that could change the eternal destination of his soul. Paul knew that no matter what he faced, no matter how bad it got, no matter how confusing the situation, no matter how deep the circumstance, there is nothing that could change the reality that he knew Jesus Christ and heaven was his home. And so he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now think of that for just a moment. Yes, it is difficult to rejoice when life is hard. It's difficult to rejoice when you're going through a pandemic. It's difficult to rejoice when you are watching the division throughout our country today. It's difficult to rejoice when you are grieving and you are burdened and you are saddened by injustice and by all the chaos in the midst of the world today. It's difficult to rejoice in those moments. But Paul didn't say simply rejoice. See, the reality is, is that to rejoice in difficult times, no doubt, it is, it is very hard. It's nearly impossible to rejoice when everything's going against us. And frankly, it would even be wrong, maybe, to rejoice when, when, when you're in a position of looking at things of such chaos and confusion and injustice. But Paul didn't simply say rejoice. He said rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, focus your attention on Jesus, focus on who he is, focus on what he's doing, and live your life in light of that and rejoice in him. John Phillips said it best. He said, no matter how, the dark, how dark the day is, guess what? The Lord is still the Lord. The fact of the matter is this morning is that when we go through trials and adversities, many of us can find a positive in the midst of the difficult. I remember several years ago, my family and I, we were, had gone to Disney uh, World in Orlando, Florida. And we were there, and we were enjoying a wonderful time together. And off in the distance, you could see some clouds that were brewing. And we rode a ride together, and we came off of that ride. And as soon as we did, it began to absolutely pour. I mean, it was just pouring. Monster. It was raining so heavy. It was one of those rains that you wondered, is it ever going to let up and go away? 
Well, in that moment when you've got your family there together and it's pouring rain, you're trying to get out of that. And so I literally looked up around the corner, kind of around the corner at an angle, and I saw that one of their stores, one of their vendors was open, and it looked large. And all I knew is that the doors were wide open as if to invite us and to say, come on in. And so we went running, and we made it in there before getting too wet. And, and we were sitting there, and, and we kind of walked through the store a little bit. And, and then I went back to the door, and I was just watching to see, is this thing ever going to let up? What I was thinking in that moment was, I paid so much to bring my family here and every minute I miss from being on a ride, I'm kind of wasting my money. So I'm ready to get out there, you know, let's, let's get this thing over with. And so I'm looking and I'm thinking like, Lord, please, is this thing ever going to let up? I'm beginning even to pray, God, would you just move the clouds on to another part of Florida? Let us enjoy our day here at Disney World. And I, and I had probably had a look of fret on my face and I'll never forget my daughter, Gracie, coming up to me and she looked with those cute little eyes and she said, well, daddy, and I said, what's that, sweetie? She said, well, if we're going to be stuck in the middle of the rain, I'm so glad God let us come into a candy store. Just so happened to be, I looked around, we were in a candy store, and they were making all sorts of fresh goodies, and it smelled like heaven on earth. It's amazing, even as a child, you can look in the midst of the storms and the difficulties, and you can find something positive. But what God is saying is in this moment is, it's not just about finding something positive within you or even positive around you. He's saying, no, 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 fix your eyes on me. Lift your eyes into the hills. From where did your help come from? You focus on Jesus and rejoice in him. No doubt as we look at the world around us where Satan is wreaking all sorts of havoc and chaos and division today as we see the images and hear the reports and the evidence is clearer than ever before, please understand we must not fear and we must not lose heart. The Bible says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Every spirit, listen, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. But listen to this, Christian. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I'm telling you this morning, when you turn on the news and you get discouraged and you get overwhelmed and you get to fearing and you get to be anxious, I want to remind you, lift your eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ and be reminded in the midst of the chaos that greater is the Lord Jesus Christ in me than he who's in the world stirring up all the trouble. The reminder this morning is so clear. We can rejoice in the Lord. Paul didn't just preach it. He modeled it. As Paul would pin these words in, in Philippians chapter 3, the Philippian believers would hear that. Rejoice in the Lord. And their mind would go back to Acts chapter 16. When Paul had been in that city 10 years earlier, Paul and Silas had been beaten. And they had been imprisoned. And they were fastened into the stocks. And it was not a good situation. Beaten and bloodied and bruised. At midnight, something strange began to happen in the middle of that jail. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. When they had been beaten and bloodied and bruised, instead of getting angry with God, instead of getting bitter, instead of throwing in the towel, instead of losing hope and losing heart, no, well, here's what they did. They looked to Jesus and they rejoiced in him. Why? Because they knew that God was still in control. They knew that God was with them every step of the way. They knew that God was working even in the midst of the situation. It's easy to praise the Lord when we see the victory, but God is calling us to praise him even when the victory isn't yet in sight. 
It's easy to praise God when we already know what the outcome has been, but God is calling us to praise him even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the trial, until he brings about the joy and the victory that we're anticipating in him. We must rejoice in the Lord. Spurgeon said it this way, a genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers. What he's saying is, you got to have joy in the Lord. Now, Paul says two interesting things about this. First, he says, it's not a trouble for me to write the same things to you. All of us as parents, all of us probably as human beings, we understand and know the importance of repetition, the importance of repetition. We're from the various earliest of ages, we're taught the ABCs and we are repeating them. I remember when my children, before they were even in preschool, when we would walk up or down steps, I would count one, two, three, and that repetition helps them learn how to count. And then I would count by twos and it helps them learn how to count even before they started preschool. Repetition is so important. But Paul says 16 times in this, this letter to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, have joy. There's joy in the Lord. Why? Because he understands that it's important for us. But not only that, I love what he says. He says, for this rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for you. Please understand this morning, we rejoice in the Lord and we praise him to give him glory. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of all glory and adoration and praise. That is our motivation. That is our reason for praising the Lord because he deserves all the glory. Amen? But I want you to see loud and clear, there is a benefit and blessing to us. Paul says when you rejoice in the Lord, it is a safeguard for you. In other words, when our lives are in tune with God's will for us, it does bring benefit into our life. Rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard. It protects us from the ways of the enemy and from the deceitfulness of our own heart. Think of it this way. When we are focused on the things around us, we are easily discouraged and distressed. When we focus on the things within us, we are easily disheartened and depressed. But when we rejoice in the Lord, we find joy and rest. In other words, you can't rejoice in the Lord without thinking about his goodness, thinking about his grace, and thinking about the ways he's proven himself time and time again in your life. The bottom line is this. You can be discouraged or depressed, or you can look to Jesus and be at rest, but the choice is up to you. Paul says, finally, I want you to know something. I'm instructing you. I'm encouraging you. I'm guiding you to rejoice in the Lord. Many believers lose their joy because they stop rejoicing in him. They give in to the trial. They give in to the struggle. They focus only on the things within or the things around them. And what God is calling us to do, even in the midst of our trials and difficulties, is to look to him and rejoice. I want to encourage you this morning. Rejoice in the Lord. We must, we must rejoice in him and praise him. Secondly, I want you to see this. If we're going to experience joy in the Lord, we must also protect our relationship with the Lord. We must protect our relationship with the Lord. There are many things in life that will seek to get our attention, that will seek to distract us, that will seek to deter us from the simplicity and the purity of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that that's not popular to say what I'm about to say, but the fact of the matter is that it's true. One of the primary reasons that we've seen such a moral failure among pastoral leadership in our country is because 
over time, even doing good things like ministering and being the hands and feet of Jesus, we allow our relationship with the Lord to grow cold. Many ministers in recent days have fallen morally, and and it's easy for us to look and say, well, how could that happen? How could that be? But please understand this morning, it's very easy in the midst of your serving and your doing to allow that to be a substitute for your personal relationship with the Lord. A few months ago now, I think it's about 65 days to be exact, I issued a challenge to our church congregation. It's the 90-day challenge, reading through the New Testament in 90 days. Many of you have been participating. I've been encouraged by many of your responses. But I found myself back in May, around the May the 6th, May the 7th, something in that time frame, coming to a place where I found myself getting irritable, and I found myself getting frustrated over little petty things. And as I did, I began to ask the Lord, Lord, why, why am I getting so upset with things? I know things are going crazy in the world, but why am I so at unrest in my spirit? And why is there not a sense of peace right now? And I quickly began to realize the reason. The reason why is I had allowed myself to get into a situation that many get to when they go into seminary. Many people, when they get into seminary, they they study God's Word all the time. But every time they go to God's Word, it's because they are preaching a sermon or they're preparing a paper. There's always a project. And somehow, instead of God's living Word being able to speak into their heart and life to apply it and to encourage and to challenge and to convict them and to change them, somehow it becomes a textbook. I found myself back in May getting to the place where every time I opened God's word, I wasn't coming to it anymore saying, God, would you speak to me? I was coming to it and saying, God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to serve? And I began to realize about a month ago, I'd come to a place in my reading of God's word where it became about what others need to know instead of what I needed to know. And so I came to that place where I said, God, I'm not going to say anything else about it. I'm just going to get back to that relationship with you. And man, it's been so refreshing just to get back into God's word and read it simply for the sake of saying, God, what do you want to say to me today? How do you want to convict me today? How do you want to guide me today? God, how how would you want to speak into my life? Friend, it's amazing when we protect our relationship with the Lord, how the Lord nourishes us and he fills us and he encourages us and he instructs us along the way. Here in the church of Philippi, there were some challenges. There were some people literally within the body of Christ that were bringing many conflicts and many divisions. There were people in that situation that were bringing about distractions and divisions in the body that were a great hindrance in the relationship that they had with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now, please understand that Paul was not being derogatory in this moment. He was giving a visual image of what was happening in the church. There were some people that had risen up in the church. And in fact, when you read through Paul's letters, you get the impression that these individuals kind of went from place to place. Everywhere Paul would preach, they would follow him and they would go because their entire desire was to hinder the ministry and to to direct people away from the message that Paul was preaching. Paul was preaching the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel, we've said it loud and clear. It is the reality that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, that he was buried in the grave, and that he rose again from the grave. That is the gospel. It is very, very simple. The death of Jesus Christ for our sins, the burial of Jesus Christ in the grave, the resurrection of Christ. He did these things. That's a true statement. That is the gospel. But the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 1 that there were many people in that day who began to enter the church, and they said, oh, the gospel's good. Yes, it's true. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He was buried and he rose again. But 
In order to be saved, you've got to accept the gospel and do all these things. In order to be saved, you've also got to be circumcised. In order to be saved, you've got to do these other things. In order to be saved, you've got to add these works to your life, and then you'll truly be saved. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, listen, if you have ever received a gospel contrary to what you've already received, that person is to be accursed. In other words, the gospel is simple, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please understand, nothing can change the gospel. God has forever settled that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the enemy will do all that he can to distort that. In the church of Philippi, there was a group of people known as the Judaizers. They began to enter the church, and they began to say, oh, the gospel's good, but it's not enough. Oh, Jesus did these things. Yes, that's true, but you got to do these other works. you got to do these other things. The Bible tells us Paul looks at them, and he says... Literally in Philippians chapter 3, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. These were individuals who were Jews. They had received the outward sign of circumcision, which was an outward symbol of the covenant that God had established with the Hebrew people. But I'm reminded today that there is no outward working of man that we can do to save ourselves. There's no outward symbol. There's no outward thing that we can do to say, hey, that now makes us right with God. The only outward work can be done is the outward work that Jesus Christ did when he visibly lived here on this earth. He came, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. His body was buried in a tomb. He he victoriously rose again from the grave. That is the outward work that's been done. And when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, he literally works within us to transform us from the inside out. Paul's looking in this moment, he's saying, listen, there's no outward thing you're going to do to save yourself. You might say that you're a Jew, you might say that you've been circumcised and you're a part of God's covenant, but you're false in that. So he says, beware of the dogs. Now, in that day, dogs were not as tamed as they are today. Many of you might have a dog, you have a pet at your home. Some of you have two or three or four dogs and In our day today, they're so well treated and so well uh, domesticated that we often call them fur babies and we love on them and take really, really good care of them, which is awesome. In that day, it was not quite the same. Dogs were known to travel in packs and to wreak havoc on other animals, especially that of sheep. There's a powerful visual image there. I remember years ago, growing up in Alabama, we had some sheep. We had about 30 sheep on this particular time, and I remember one day on a Saturday afternoon, we were home, and my dad got a phone call from a farmer up the street. That farmer had horses, and he called my dad to say, Mr. Kirkland, there are some wild dogs that have attacked one of our smaller horses, and the horse is dead. My dad said, well, my goodness, is there anything we can do? He said, no. He said, I'm calling you because the last time I saw those dogs, they were running up the street, running towards your house. Well, we had sheep. I remember my dad literally getting off the phone. He scurried around real quick. He walked into the living room. He handed a rifle to me. He had a rifle in his hand, and he said, let's go. We went outside, and he literally, we lined up on the side of this field anticipating the arrival of those dogs. That's what Paul is envisioning here. He's saying, listen, I want you to know there are some who are going to come, and they're going to do all that they can to distract you and to deceive you and to divide you, and their ultimate goal is ultimately to turn you away from the gospel and to turn you away from Jesus, to turn you away from the peace from the hope, from the joy, from the very life that you have in him. But you protect your relationship with the Lord. 
of these individuals, Paul concluded in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But notice the evidence of the true believers in verse 3. We are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. Does that describe your worship? Do you worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus? Do you put your glory, do you glory in Jesus alone or do you glory in yourself and your accomplishments and your abilities and put no confidence in the flesh? People describe themselves all the time, especially in our culture is, I'm a good guy. I'm a, I'm a good old boy. I, I'm decent. I, I come from a good family. I come from good stuff. That's who I am. Friend, I want you to know there is nothing good within us apart from the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Put no confidence in the flesh. Third thing I want you to see, and I'm going to wrap up fairly quickly, is this. If we're going to experience joy in the Lord, yes, we must praise the Lord. Yes, we must protect our relationship with the Lord. But third, we must pursue our relationship with the Lord. Many people say, Pastor, I, I, I'm a Christian. Why don't I have joy? Well, I would first stop and ask, when, are you living a lifestyle of praise, rejoicing in the Lord, no matter what you're going through? What are you doing to protect your relationship with the Lord? But third, what are you doing to pursue your relationship with the Lord? It's amazing how marriage gives us a powerful picture uh, of this thought of pursuing. I've experienced in my marriage, perhaps you've experienced in yours, there are times where maybe that relationship doesn't seem as, as vibrant as it did. Maybe there's a moment where, 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 where it just doesn't seem like it did in those early days and that time of honeymoon, and usually... That loss or that lack of feeling is directly related to what you are doing in your actions to pursue your spouse and to make them a priority, to love them well. So oftentimes couples will come from marriage counseling, well, I've, I've lost the joy, I'm not in love, I don't feel this, I don't feel that. And usually the question is quickly, well, well, well what are you doing and what are you not doing that you used to do? The fact of the matter is, as we pursue that relationship, God restores the emotions. And not only does he restore, but man, God can make it more vibrant and more alive and more passionate and more beautiful than it's ever been before. The fact of the matter is, in our relationship with Jesus, many believers lose their joy because they're not pursuing a relationship with Christ. They're content to settle for the experiences of yesteryear instead of experiencing Jesus anew and afresh today. Friend, you might try to live off of the incredible wonders of yesteryear, but eventually you're going to come to a place where you're going to be empty and you need the feeling of the Holy Spirit in your heart and life to guide you and to lead you and to encourage you and to help you and ultimately to mold you and shape you into the very likeness of Christ. The priority of the next part of these verses of this text, the focus of it is on knowing Jesus. Paul is focused on knowing Jesus. Please understand a few things about this, this, this knowing Jesus. First off, we understand the need for this relationship. If religion could save you, Paul would have been saved. If your family heritage could save you, Paul would have been saved. If your good works and your righteousness could bring you to a relationship with God, he would have already been there. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, listen, if anyone's going to have confidence in the flesh, I do. I was circumcised the eighth day. In other words, just like the law demanded before, I could even keep the law of my own choice. My parents did this thing for me. It was done on the eighth day just like the law demanded. I was born of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. That's where I was born. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, I was in the most favored position of all. 
This tribe of Benjamin, go study it in the Old Testament. You'll find out quickly, Israel's first king came from the tribe of Benjamin. There is so much history there where Paul is saying, listen, if anybody has confidence, look at my roots, man. That's where I grew up. That's how I did. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were regarded as the most religious people of the day. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous about my good works for God that I literally was trying to get rid of anybody that I thought was against him. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, I did everything I could to keep the law and do right. But please understand this loud and clear. It wasn't enough. The faith of his parents couldn't save him. His amount of good works couldn't save him. His keeping of the law couldn't save him. Because all the good works of the law might have found him blameless in the eyes of man, but it didn't find him sinless in the eyes of God. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us loud and clear in Romans chapter 7 of this simple reality. The more he got into the law and the more he understood and the more he tried to do, he also came to the clear reality that he couldn't keep it. In other words, he needed someone else. He needed a relationship that would bring about salvation in his life. Secondly, I want you to see the value of this relationship. Paul looks back over all of it. His upbringing, his religion, his good works. Think about all this. He was in such a prized position. He had influence. He had leadership. He was like the star pupil, the who's who, the most likely to succeed. He had great wealth. He had great security. His entire future was secure and in front of him. Listen to what he said once he met Jesus. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That word loss in this passage of scripture literally means that of waste that which has been greatly damaged. In other words, I was the most religious of the religious and everything that I had going for me, everything that the world told me to strive for, everything that the entire world would hope for, in light of knowing Christ, all those things are nothing, complete waste. And he even further goes on to say, just to make sure he's clear, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. It's literally like he took the things of the world and he put them on one scale with all that they had to offer. And then he looked at Jesus and here's when he began to realize, hey, what does it really profit me if I have all this stuff, if I do all this stuff, if it doesn't save my soul? And on the other hand, there's Jesus. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried in a grave. He rose again from the grave so that I could be forgiven and I could be saved and I could be set free. There's Jesus or the world. And he looks at it all and said, may this be rubbish to me that I may know Jesus Christ because nothing compares to knowing Jesus. That's his point. There's a value in that relationship. But notice thirdly, the result of that relationship. I love this statement. This is awesome. And I may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Here's the result of that relationship. You can do all the religious things you want to do. You can try to have all the good works. 
You can do all this stuff. You can amount riches for yourself. But in the end, it is just your man-made righteousness. And in the end, you'll find that it's greatly flawed. Paul looks at it and he says, you know what? In the eyes of man, I was righteous, but it wasn't enough. I was still a sinner in need of God's grace. Go read Romans chapter 7 this week as Paul begins to tell the account about how he began to realize his righteousness was flawed and he began to realize that even in the keeping of the law, he became covetous and he began to desire other things and desire positions of others and he began to realize that he had broken the law himself. He'd sinned against God. He was in need of grace. Please, what I want you to understand this morning is there is no good works that can bring about the righteousness of God. The only good work that can bring about the righteousness of God is the good work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for your sins and for mine. Here's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, the only true, perfect, complete, and genuine righteousness available to all is found in the one who is pure, perfect, sinless, and true. It's found in Jesus. The final thing I want you to see is the reality of growth in this relationship. The fact that we can grow in our relationship with Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 10. Oh, that I may know him. Do you know Jesus today? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Friend, I want you to know this morning when Paul says this, he's saying, listen, you don't just have to know facts about Jesus. You can know him personally. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been with, no matter what's been done to you, here's the reality. You can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the very moment you call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, please understand, not only can you know him, but you can know him in the power of his resurrection. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave is the power that is at work in and through our hearts and lives today as a child of God. But many of us stop there. Listen to the next step of growth. Listen to this, verse 10. That I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You know what Paul's saying? That's a sermon in itself, but ultimately here's what he's saying. No matter the cost, no matter the suffering, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the trial, no matter the difficulty, here's what I've come to know. It's in going through these sufferings, it's in going through these trials that I see that God is molding me and God is shaping me and God is working in me so that he might work through me to use me as a vessel for him. So no matter the cost, no matter the trial, no matter the difficulty, I rejoice because in doing so, I am knowing Jesus. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the first question. If you don't, you can by believing in Him and calling upon Him to be your Savior. But if you do know Jesus, let me ask you a second question. Do you know him more today than you did a year ago? Do you look more like him today than you did a year ago? Friend, I want you to know this morning, you can know Jesus, but don't just stop at the establishment of a relationship through faith. Keep pursuing him and growing in him. The old song we used to sing when I was a kid said it well. 
To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I ask is to be like him. All through life's journey, from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. Friend, I want you to know today, yes, there is division. Yes, there's confusion. There's pain. There's suffering. There's great sorrow. But there is great joy when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior and are growing in our relationship with him. I don't know what cross you'll be called to bear. I don't know what struggles you'll face along the way. But I do know that you can know Jesus. And as you know him more and more, you're going to be more like Jesus for the glory of God and for the good of others. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.